There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. All right, boys and girls, back again for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. My guest for this episode is Mr. Mark Brading. He is the president, uh, I'm not entirely sure, president of what, the Strategy Meets Action Consulting Group, which is part of Resource Pro, which, my gosh, they're just becoming an absolutely massive company with so many different business units. If you haven't heard of Resource Pro, you soon will because they are spreading out their hands and grabbing as many things as they can bring into the, the Resource Pro family. So, Mark, thanks so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. And uh, I'm a partner with Resource Pro Consulting. So we're pretty excited about the growth prospects ahead and the ways that we're helping really companies across the whole PNC ecosystem, right? Uh, that's what's really powerful about Resource Pro and the direction they've taken is that you know, we work with retail agencies and MGAs and wholesalers and carriers and program administrators, you, you name it. And so that to us is really... Um, we think we're one of the only ones that really have that kind of end-to-end insight and, and are supporting and helping everybody in the whole ecosystem. Love it. Thanks so much for jumping into the, the first question answer right there, man. You just took the first words right out of my mouth. You Already there. My follow-up question, what you just said, is just hand you the mic and say, explain Resource Pro Consulting. I can tell from the swag you're wearing there may be some rebranding away from strategy meets action to resource pro consulting. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, it's exciting. Um, so what's happened is we're bringing together various groups that resource pro has acquired that have consulting capability. So growth solutions, which does a lot of training and uh, advising of retail agencies, the Nolan company, which is a management consulting firm focused exclusively on PNC insurance, they have a long heritage. And then Strategy Meets Action, which is where I've come from, which uh, really works with, with CARES, MGAs, and also many tech vendors and technology platforms uh, across the ecosystem as well. So we've come together to, to create a, a richer set of just services that we can offer to the industry. Yeah, it sounds like between those different brands that have been grouped together under the name Resource Pro Consulting, you really do handle the entire supply chain for the PNC insurance world. That's pretty impressive, man. 
We do. And then obviously it's the the core business process management that Resource Pro does, managing the helping to manage the business for a thousand plus distributors and carriers that you know is the kind of ultimate end end goal, right? You know, help help develop strategy and put together plans. And then ultimately when you get to the execution phase, we can help to to make things real and to to have ongoing long-term relationships uh, with a lot of these different entities. Hmm. You know, I, I think from just a good analogy perspective, Resource Pro is almost following in the path set by other large conglomerates like Johnson & Johnson or Procter & Gamble that have really broad reach across a, a variety of different applications. My first experience with Resource Pro was through the ILSA brand, handling, licensing, and regulatory compliance. A lot of folks ask, how in the world are you able to keep track of everything at risk? Well, we're a pretty small office. There's only nine of us, but we operate in 42 states currently. My answer is ILSA. ILSA handles literally all of that. We don't touch it. Are they expensive? Yeah, they are. But are they worth it? In my mind, absolutely. Because the time spent on stuff like that is a lot more valuable than the money we pay Ilsa. So the Resource Pro family is very deep on the roster. You guys got some cool stuff going on over there. So I know that is not your part of the of the family, so to speak. So why don't we circle back to you as an individual, Mark? I'd love to hear your story, how you came to be at Strategy Meets Action, which is now being, you know, as we said, rebranded as part of the Resource Pro consulting family. Why don't you catch us up on, on you and your journey? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I started on the tech side, uh, real deep tech. I mean, I literally was, this will date me, but I literally was debugging mainframe operating systems way back when. Um, and then ultimately ended up working for IBM for 25 years. And that was all focused on insurance. All, all of my clients were insurance for 25 years. So I had the great privilege and pleasure to work with insurance entities around the world, because for most of that time, I had a global role, helping them think through strategy, how they could leverage technology better, and what kind of capabilities they needed to put in place to, to be competitive and to, and to grow. So I spent a long time there. Ultimately, I was the, the strategist for IBM's insurance group. And then in 2009, when SMA was just getting started, Strategy Meets Action, I joined as a one of the original partners and uh, helped to build the the brand and the company and our capabilities. And throughout that period, one of my roles was as the head of research, the chief research officer. So I've always been very keen to, to understand business and technology strategies of the industry and then how we can use that to help our clients. But I, I work with carriers, I work with MGAs, I work with vendors on their strategies as well. And then again, many of my colleagues work directly with retail agencies or others in the distribution space. Love that, man. Now, I noticed from visiting your website, Strategy Meets Action's website, that the, the retail agent part of the, the supply chain was missing from those descriptors. So I, I would love to, to get a better understanding of exactly what that piece of the puzzle does for carriers and MGAs and wholesalers and, and technology vendors that bolt on to that side of things. What sort of problems does Resource Pro Consulting, I'll just set the SMA branding aside and we'll just, mm -hmm. you know, go with 
where where you guys are now. I definitely want to be respectful of your team's efforts in that area. When we publish this episode, we'll keep the branding consistent there. What sort of problems and and areas are you helping your clients face? Consulting is such a broad term. What does that mean in practice for you guys? Yeah, so in practice, um, there's really two kinds of uh, services that we're offering. One is really an advisory model, more of a retainer service that's anchored in our research, and the other is project-based consulting. Let me talk about the advisory first and the research because one of the things that we have done as we've been part of the Resource Pro family, and we're now on our third year as a member of the Resource Pro family, but we have significantly expanded our research into the distribution space. So although I don't directly consult with retail agencies, uh, I often speak and, at, at agency events and talk to agencies. We don't directly have them as clients, at least my former SMA. However, we're now doing extensive research across the whole value chain. So it's pretty exciting because I can tell you what retail agencies are doing in terms of their technology and their expectations for their underwriting partners. What kind of digital sales capabilities are they really looking for? What kind of digital servicing capabilities are they looking for? I can tell you what the carriers are doing and planning. And so you end up with understanding where there's alignment, where there's misalignment. And then we use that to, to help guide and advise organizations so that we can improve that agent carrier connectivity. And then the other part of the equation is all of these uh, technology platforms in the middle, right? The the bold penguins and Sempsis and the Ivans and Appulates and, and Vertifors and all those kinds of uh, companies that have connectivity platforms to manage the transaction flow and the business between ultimate distributors and the, and the, and the underwriters. So we now have that full picture and it's pretty exciting for us. We've also done really extensive research on MGAs. So we, we have a, a great picture of how that area is, is expanding rapidly and all the things that are happening in that space. So I didn't answer your original question, though, no, I don't think, which is uh, what kind of problems do we help them address, right? So one, yeah. of, them, one of them is um, if we stick to distribution, it really is it's, it's two things. One is um, helping understand channel strategies. So, you know, if I'm a carrier, uh, what is the most effective way to reach my preferred markets, right? What's that path to the customer, right? Through various distributors in, in the marketplace, right? If I'm on the distributor side, it's the, it's the opposite question, right? How do I find my markets, right? What's Who are my channel partners as I reach into carriers? And, and those partners may include tech partners. They may include other members of the kind of value chain in the distribution space. But that's one area we focus on is channel partner strategies. And the second area is really around the technology, the technology capabilities and um, you know what what those priorities should be, who the who the technology companies are in the market that can can be good partners that help you create those. And so we're we're trying to really help elevate the whole space if if we can. That's distribution. You know, we do similar things um we really focus on, I would say, the core of insurance. So distribution, underwriting, policy servicing, claims, that, that's where we spend most of our time. Well, you just described basically the entire 
four core functions of everything that happens in the PNC world. So now if you're covering distribution, underwriting, service, and claims, I mean, that's basically it. If you're, unless we're including, you know, regulatory uh, lobbying efforts and, you know, reinsurance would probably be the only two that I would add to that list. And we're pretty comprehensive at that point. So we don't really do marketing per se. Yeah. And we're not really focused so much on human resources, financial management, facilities gotcha. management, you know, those kinds of infrastructure back office things. Okay. So it's, it's really the core. And I should also say, I mean, we exclusively focus on the PNC industry, right? We're not, yeah. we're not in others, in other spaces. Resource Pro as a family has, uh, has a lot of great capabilities in employee benefits as well, but we tend not to do life and health segments. Yep. The life health accident, ancillary stuff, the annuities world, the pseudo financial products, as I call them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a very different part of, uh, of the financial and insurance world. I'm not at all surprised that you guys are steering clear of that from an organizational perspective, from a regulatory perspective, certainly. Yeah. It's very apples and oranges. So no surprise that you made that decision strategically for your company. So I'd love to pivot here. We've got a good understanding of the basics of what you guys are doing. I'm just going to ask you some opinion stuff on current events that are affecting our industry. And then we can hand you the mic at the end of our time together and, and you can fill us in on any questions that you wanted me to ask or any topics we didn't get to that you think are relevant for this conversation for our audience. When I think about the current events, sorry, I missed my little whoosh button here. There you go. When I think about the current events in the industry, the topics that I feel like keep coming back again and again and again, and you hit it with your distribution comments, is how these carriers are choosing to go to market, whether it is through a traditional exclusive agent route like the, the blue chip carriers that have agents that only represent one carrier, or my personal favorite for obvious reasons, the independent agent, the broker distribution. But then in the in recent years, we've seen a whole lot of stuff come up with either a direct-to-consumer play, some sort of quote-bind issue experience that cuts out the agent entirely, or an embedded type of distribution that is an immediate, do you want this insurance product? Click yes, whether it's Allianz travel insurance when you're buying a plane ticket or something like that. How do you see this playing out in the next phase, whether it's a year, two, three years, or whatever, how do you see the distribution trends falling out in the upcoming you know, months and years? Yeah, I, I, the way I characterize it is I think there's a revolution going on in distribution, right? Now, what's interesting is a lot of times when I say that, people immediately think I'm going to say, oh, the independent agent is dead. It's all going direct. It's all going digital or some other route, or everything's going to be embedded at point of sale. That's not, that's not where I'm headed, right? I've always been very pro-independent agent. I think there's a role for a long, long time for independent agents. Now, that said, we've been on this evolution for quite some time, right? The idea of, obviously, captive agents have been around for a long time. The idea of going direct digital, you know, a la, uh, you know, Progressive or Geico, you know, those, those are those are plays that have always been there, right? Most companies are looking to offer some kind of omni-channel experience, right? So they're, 
because they're reacting to the demands of customers, of policyholders, right? So I think the way to think about it is we always do our research in three segments, right? We always look at personal lines, we look at small commercial, and then we group together kind of middle market, large, complex, you know, specialty lines, right? Because there's there's very different needs and characteristics in those in those segments, right? First of all, I think in all of those segments, I think there's still a very strong play for independent agents. Uh, I think the independent agent world is evolving rapidly as well with M&A, with moving to more scale, with upping their game in, in terms of technology and the way that they work with customers and with, and with carriers. But they're there, right, in all of those spaces, right? On the commercial line side of things, it's not like, you know, you've got a, you know, a middle market account with, you know, 25 locations and a fleet and a number of employees. It's not like you're going to press some button and get insurance, right? You're always going to need a trusted advisor. So I think in all of the spaces where it's really important to have a trusted advisor, which is most of insurance because insurance is complex, I think there's a role there, right? Now, there are there are absolutely people that want to buy more commodity lines without talking to a human, right? So personal auto would be the biggest risk. I mean, it's already the the direct companies have already gained lots of shares over the last decade or two in, in that in that space. And most independent agencies are mixing their book anyway, so they're doing more, you know, more things that require expertise and advice, right? And in commercial lines, but maybe in, uh, you know, high net worth homeowners or, or other lines that, are, you know, you're not just going to, again, you're not going to just select something off a screen and press a button, right? Yep. So I think all channels are going to be in the marketplace, direct digital channels, working through independent agents, working through captives, digital brands have entered the marketplace over the last few years. The whole affinity model is kind of gearing up again, and the whole the idea of embedded insurance, even to the extent of making insurance invisible, right? All of those kinds of things are are going to be available in the marketplace, but it's going to evolve over a long time, right? I, you know, I just saw another report that said by 2030, 25% of all insurance is going to be completely embedded. And honestly, I think that's nonsense. I just don't think embedded insurance applies to that many lines of business across the industry, right? Yeah. You know, it's already there. It's already been there in travel and in warranties. Personal auto, I think, is the biggest risk overall for direct digital distribution as well as for embedded. So that's the one space to watch. But I think everything else, and obviously it's the biggest line, but everything else is you know, I think there's a lot of evolution that's going to go on. And as long as agencies continue to play a trusted advisor role and, and increase their tech capability, it's still going to be a very solid, huge part of the market. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. 
with a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. No, that that aligns with the way that I read the tea leaves as well. And I think the biggest problem for embedded uh, and for these, you know, emerging distribution methods isn't at the point of sale. It's what happens the moment you're past the point of sale. And now you're having to deal with client engagement and client retention. Perfect example, as fortune would have it, uh, my wife was involved in a parking lot accident this week. She was backing out of a parking spot, noticed that someone to her right was also backing out of a parking spot. My wife hits the brakes and is looking over her right shoulder to her right as the other vehicle just keeps coming out and keeps coming out and then backed right into her in the parking lot. And it's been a mess. Uh, even even to this point, I'm not going to name names, but a certain blue colored company that is nationally known for putting people in good hands has been a nightmare to this point. And I'm sitting here going, how would this, with, you know, the podcast host of me is sitting here thinking about the different distribution methods, like how in the world is embedded ever going to handle claims management? How is a, how are we ever going to get better than some entry level, you know, apathetic person sitting in a call center somewhere to handle the intake on a claim. What is the evolution of the rest of the experience look like beyond just the point of sale? Because we've seen a lot of distribution evolution in the last few years. But the actual policy management, the customer service model really hasn't changed that much other than self-service stuff of intake for a claim, you know, first notice of loss or whatever on a website or an app on your phone. Other than just giving the information to the carrier, that's changed a little bit. But the actual customer experience after the point of sale, what's going on there? What do you think happens for the rest of the life cycle? Because, yeah, cool, embedded is great. And QBI and web stuff and digital brokerage and direct-to-consumer efforts are great for point of sale. But if the rest of the experience is so terrible, how do we as an industry get better about that? Yeah, and even if we're not talking about claims, you know, we have policy changes throughout the, the the term. You know, we added driver. You know, we have you know added new coverages, whatever whatever we need, right? So there is that dimension of it for for sure. So I think that embedded kind of let's call it even to the extent of invisible insurance makes sense where it's a very focused line and it's the claims are very simple, right? So you can kind of imagine parametric insurance and embedded insurance kind of coming together, right? So yep. if you have something that has, you know, externally verifiable information where you can just trigger the claim, it makes sense. So obviously you can think of something like maybe event insurance, right? That maybe it gets canceled because there's a, you know, a snowstorm, 12 feet of snow, 12 inches of snow or something like that, right? Um, you know, you don't have to do a lot of, Claims adjusting there, right? Um, if it, if it's canceled because of a defined weather event that is verifiable, you could actually just trigger the claim. So you don't need any people involved in that. So that that could be end to end, right? It could be completely, 
you know, almost, almost invisible, right? And travel is already that way. Like some of the parametric insurance in that space where, you know, for, for a buck, you can get travel, you know, you can get, um, flight insurance where if it's more than four hours late you get a fifty dollar or a hundred dollar payment or something like that so you, yeah. you can think of a whole bunch of examples like that but those are like tiny in terms of premium volumes compared to the industry overall right for just real quick mark for those of our audience that aren't familiar with parametric because we haven't really talked that much about it maybe not at, at all in detail uh, Folks, parametric, think of it in this way. It's basically an if this, then that. It's very simple. Define cause of loss, define payout. Everything is conditional logic. If X happens, then Y is the result. And it's virtually instantaneous when the the triggers are activated. So we're not going to get too far in the details of parametric, but I know there's a lot of people out there that go, parawetic? What did he just say? So anyway, sorry, I figured it might be useful for us to define exactly what we mean by parametric. Please, please continue, Mark. Sorry. Yeah, I'll just give one quick example because I think this really brings it to life. So parametric makes sense for earthquake, right? And not for structural damage, but for the incidentals, because you can define it that says if there is an earthquake of more than 5.0 on the Richter scale in your area, you get a thousand dollar payment, right, to cover incidentals or, or hotel or whatever. I mean, that's published externally verifiable information, so you don't need anybody to go check it. You just pay it. Yep. Yeah. Whereas that same parametric policy could say, if it's a six point on the Richter scale, we're gonna, you know, based on your policy, we're gonna pay out X instead. Uh, exactly. Again, no adjusting. Yeah. yeah. So there is, you know, just yesterday I saw one really interesting example of embedded insurance that I think we we do need to consider these kinds of models. And if you haven't seen it, uh, Hyundai uh, came out with this offer where you can rent a car a month at a time, rent a vehicle, right? Different classes of vehicle, different prices. But, you know, it's one single fee. And in that fee is the maintenance and the insurance, right? So ins the insurance truly is invisible, right? It's six ninety nine a month for this kind of a vehicle, or eight ninety nine a month, or whatever it is, and then you can do it for a second month if you want. Uh, and and you know, there's a there's a large carrier that is underwriting it, right? Uh, although it's kind of group underwriting, really, right? Because it, they're not changing the the insurance fee based on the the, the risk, yeah. really. But that's something you, you got to consider. If we if we get more and more of those kinds of things, then you know, obviously, there's no agent involved in that equation. Yeah, and the same happened with the Turo ride-sharing platform where travelers used to be involved in it and then they got off and then Liberty Mutual took it up as a, a house program. And in the, the agent groups that I'm in, at least a couple of times a day, you see somebody asking a question about how they can get in on the action when one of their clients has a vehicle on Turo and was like, good luck, man. That is, that's not something you want to be within 10 miles of because that is an entirely different ball of wax than what the independent agent is set up for. So, sorry, I, I took you way down a rabbit hole there, man. The I'm trying to go back to the question, the trend, sorry, distribution, embedded, you know, where you see things going on that side of things we covered. And we, we chased such a rabbit, I lost my place here. The next step in in the conversation really goes back to how these carriers are figuring out what happens next with with service 
with after the point of sale, how do they create a more enjoyable, cohesive experience? Because the point of sale can be great, but if the rest of the client experience is not great, we're going to see more churn and a whole lot more disruption like we have in the last 18 months or so. What's, what's your take on how this settles down? How do we get the providers to start caring more about retention rather than just writing new business? So I see the industry as being on a journey, right? You know, let's say around 10 years ago or so, carers actually started to care about the customer experience, right? I mean, they've always cared about the customer in the context of the agent and their experience. But even there, really trying to understand more, what's the typical journey of, of, an, of an agency look like as they're working with us? How can we serve them better? What kind of capabilities? But, the, but they've also turned their attention to the ultimate policyholder. So it's really been kind of interesting because you know, before that, I would say almost all carriers were very product-centric organizations, very internally focused organizations. Like, we know what we're doing. We're going to build a product, and we're going to go offer it through these channels and sell it, right? And people are going to buy it, right? In some cases, because it's mandatory, you need, you need insurance. But then they started flipping the lens so that they started thinking outside in, right? Oh, what if I'm a what if I'm a small business owner? You know, what if I'm a you know a risk manager for a corporate, right? What if I'm an individual? Uh, what's my experience like? So it's been a long journey, and we are far from where I think you want us to be, right? Where we want us to be in terms of uh, servicing the customer from that for that whole you know, that whole lifespan, right? The whole life cycle. I think a lot of progress has been made. I think carriers do understand a lot better both their distribution partner needs and the policyholder needs. But, you know, reorienting the internal systems and the data and the process and the culture to really think first about experiences, it's it's hard. It, it it takes a while. So, you know, there's some that are a lot farther than others. You know, a, a lot of the tier ones have been on the journey for a while. And at least for certain segments, they're getting they're getting better. But we're going to be working on improving the customer experience for the next five or 10 years still. Yeah, I think you're right there. There are a few of the, as you call them, tier one carriers that have obviously put a lot of thought into getting better at some points of the customer journey. I mean, there's so much room for improvement there. I wanted to, to pivot for one last question here, and then I'll hand you the microphone and we can wrap up the episode however you want to. When I look at the landscape of the, the points of contention in the overall value chain, when I look at the relationships between the carriers, the providers, the MGAs and wholesalers, the technology vendors that supply Everybody else, the retail agent, the carriers, the MGAs, whatever. The tech vendors are kind of adjacent to the entire value chain. They're not directly involved, but they're definitely around it in every possible way. The whole data ownership, data possession, data migration, who has the data, who is getting to read it, one, and write it or edit it or update it, two. And when it comes time to do something with it, who owns the data? How do you see the the whole data 
conversation evolving uh, in in the near future, the medium term future. I could ask you specific questions about, for instance, the potential antitrust implications of any one company having as much control over data as Ivan's and Applied does. I have big time philosophical concerns about any company having that much control over so much data. I'm not going to ask you for your opinion there because I would imagine you guys like to stay somewhat agnostic about particular companies. But in, in general, looking at data from your perspective and how we as stakeholders in the value chain, how can we get better about, one, utilizing the data that's already in our possession, and two, figuring out the relationships with the other stakeholders so that there can be some net positive here instead of constant bickering and arguing, which seems to be the norm. I know that's a loaded question. So if I want to be, if you want me to be more specific, I'm happy. No, to. no, it's a, it's a great question. It's a very important question. I think there are multiple dimensions to this, right? So the first observation I would have is that data and tech capabilities have been migrating into the into the distribution space, right? So, you know, once upon a time, you know, carriers would be be the ones that were tech heavy and offering, you know, connectivity capabilities to their partners. Agencies would have an AMS they're running, right? And and then the capabilities needed to run their business and to understand their customers, right? But as as I look at it now, if you look at MGAs, for instance, right? MGAs, which used to be not willing to spend much on technology, there's a lot of MGAs that have very sophisticated platforms out there, right? Yep. And have lots of data, right? Wholesalers, program administrators, you know, and then you get to the aggregators and, and others, right? So there's a lot of data and a lot of technology that's in the distribution space that wasn't in the past. So that's one dimension, right? Second dimension is there've always been, you know, kind of shared data repositories capabilities, right? I mean, it's the, you know, the Lexus Nexus, the Verus of the world, and now we've got the real-time data repositories for telematics data or smart home data or for those kinds of things. So, you know, the ways those have always operated is, you know, kind of opt-in. You know, you're as you as, a, as an individual or you as a business are provide you're you're giving your information to those organizations because you get value back from them, right? I don't claim to have the answer on what's the best way to protect the privacy of data and to optimize the use of data and to share data across different organizations. So I think it's it's really complicated and a lot of people are trying are struggling with what you're struggling with. We're trying to figure that out now. So yep. it's not it's not really an answer to your question. It's just an observation that yeah, this is this is a tough space. So to put you a, a little bit on the spot and pass pass the answer if you don't want to, just a gut reaction, your individual opinion. Who has the most claim to the data? Is it the retail agent? who collects the data directly from the insured, where the insured willingly provides it to the retail agent. And then the retail agent, of course, enters it into the ecosystem, whether it's their AMS or it is a comparative rating platform from Vertifor or EasyLinks or wherever else it happens to be. And then the provider indirectly receives this packet of data provided by the retail agent, and then they do God knows what with it once it's in their possession. 
just your personal opinion, who has the biggest claim to raise their hand and say, hey, that data belongs to me. You guys need to come to me if you want that. Yeah, I mean, so this is a big question in our society. It's not just an insurance question, right? And the societal answer to that is most people would like to see it be the individual or the business owner, right? It's my data. It's about me, right? I should have control over it, right? And there, there's some, you know, initial efforts to to put mechanisms in place to do that. But, um, you know, the, the train is so far down the track now, you know, with data scattered all over the place. Most individuals especially realize there's data about me everywhere. I don't have any control over it. Um, there's not a whole lot I can do about it, right? So in, yep. the, in the insurance-specific case that you're asking, I think it depends on the data. So I think there's absolutely data that agency should be primary, right? Because it's information about my customer that I know, especially PII information or you know anything that's personal for sure, right? But then once it gets to a carrier who's servicing them, right, and maybe they're handling claims or they, they're collecting other information, from the individual or from the business, right? They're the ones that have collected it. So they they have some rights to that data as well, right? Now, if I put wholesalers and MGAs and others in the picture, it just makes it even more complicated. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I think the ultimate societal answer is we should have a way for, you know, individuals or businesses, you know, to control, have have authority over their own data, but I think yeah. we're far, far piece from that. And there's a lot of legislation that probably needs to happen for that to occur. You know, I see your point with the retail agent and certainly with the provider. And I know I'm not winning any friends in the wholesaler space when I say this, but I think the only party that has absolutely no claim to the data whatsoever is the wholesaler. Yeah, you know, they are literally the definition of a middleman. Yeah. They don't have direct contact, nor do they want direct contact with the insured a lot of times their eno doesn't allow them to communicate directly with an insured at all and they don't have any possession of the carrier data they're not filing claims they're not conducting policy service or endorsements or anything else so the whole piece of the data chain that okay the retail agent has passed it on the carrier has not yet received it okay That's basically Switzerland, right? It's no man's land for the data. So it's terribly interesting to me how all of this plays out in a business sense. Uh, We went through agency management system migration that went live about two weeks ago. And we had a great relationship with NowCerts. They were our AMS of choice for about three and a half years. And then it came time for us to leave them. And we requested copies of our data for the migration to happen. And between two different data pools, spent more than $1,000 just to get our data out. And anybody who's on Applied or Vertifor is like, holy crap, that's like pennies on the dollar compared to what Vertifor and Applied charge for my own data. And it's like, and now that I've personally experienced this within the last few weeks, it just brought the whole data thing back to the forefront of my mind going, you know, I have some ethical concerns about a, a vendor charging me to put my own data on a spreadsheet and hand it to me. But it's, to your point, there is no way to answer it, you know, unilaterally. And I don't know if we can ever put the genie back in the bottle, as they say. Um, I think the die may have been cast uh, in that regard. It sounds like you probably agree. Yeah. And the reality is that, you know, every day um, in our industry, uh, companies are 
buying back, you know, their data, millions and millions of transactions every day, right? Now, now it may be enhanced or it may be combined with other, there may be value added along the way, but a lot of times it's the data that they provided and they just need to get it back, right? Because Mm. it's sitting somewhere else. Yep. I'm not even going to get started on the entire credit thing where you have to pay to get your own personal data from Experian or Equifax or whatever. That's, oh yeah, we don't have time for that soapbox. So I told you to plan for around 45 minutes uh, of runtime and we are almost to that point. So I want to be respectful of your agenda or anything that you wanted to get out in this conversation, Mark. What have we not talked about that you wanted to? Is there any anything from Resource Pro Consulting or anything that's on your mind that you wanted to share before we land the plane? Yeah, maybe just a couple of words about InsureTech because uh, I have been deep into the InsureTech movement since the beginning. Uh, so it's been a dozen years or so now. I've been one of the top 50 influencers in InsureTech for, since they started the list years and years and years ago uh, globally. And so, um, so I, I know lots of the players in that space. And just just a little bit of perspective on on what's happening, and let, maybe I'll just concentrate on distribution now because there's so many interesting things happening there. So, I do think there's going to be this continued evolution of these platforms that are out there, right? The compare it's not even fair to call them comparative raters because now they tend to do more than that, right? They might help you match appetite, they might do data prefill, you know, you know, on and on, right? So there's a lot of interesting things I think to watch. I do think Ivan's acquiring Tarmica is, um, you know, is kind of a big deal. It's a watershed, especially as you pointed out earlier, the market share that uh, that Applied Ivan's has. You know, ongoing activity by, you know, M and A activity by companies like Zywave. Um, you know, looking at Appulate and others that have been incumbents in the market. But then all the Bold Penguins, Semsys, uh, High Wings, uh, Surefire, Talage, all, all these companies that are that are out there. That's that's a really interesting evolution, and I think they're there to stay. You know, there may be some more acquisition activity. So I think that's really good. I think it's really interesting to see what's happening with MGAs because we've tracked well over a hundred startup MGAs just in the last few years, and they're. There's a whole variety of different business models, segments they're focused on, but obviously with the kind of drive towards more and more specialization, the growth of the ENS marketplace, there's still a long way to go there. So MJs, I think, are really playing a more and more prominent role as well. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about with InsureTech, but those are some of the things I would be watching for. Yeah, I'd love to have you on another episode in the future and talk more just about your perspective as a thought leader in the InsureTech world. If you look at our episode catalog, I don't know if you have or not, but it is chock full of InsureTech founders and co-founders that have been guests on this show. Literally just a couple of weeks ago, we dropped an episode with Limit on the, the specialty lines brokerage that they do, mostly cyber and management lines. But Limit is a newcomer. They've only been around for a year and a half or so, actively distributing policies. So perfect example of where you and I kind of geek out on some of the same things, I would imagine. Anything else in your mind, Mark? I was just thanking you for inviting me on today. I really enjoyed the discussion. Glad to be on again, if it makes sense, if we want to explore some other topics. But appreciate uh, thinking of Resource Pro and you know, always open to other conversations. Excellent. 
I know you guys at uh, what was formerly known as Strategy Meets Action don't necessarily uh, have the retail agent part of the value chain as your your customer base. Um, where would you suggest our listeners go if they want to learn more about Resource Pro Consulting and figure out what parts of your operation may be highly useful or relevant for what our, our retail agent listeners are, are going to be interested in? Well, I would say our, our growth solutions team has a huge impact on the retail agencies that work with them, right? Just helping them to be more productive, to understand how to serve their policyholder clients better, how to work better with their carrier partners. So that would be the first place I would start. Okay. And thank you very much for that, Mark. And guys, we'll put the information there in the show notes if you want to reach out to the Growth Solutions team at Resource Pro Consulting. And that's it. We found our way to the end of another episode. We never have an agenda with these conversations, but I don't know what it is. There's something magical that always lands us somewhere between 45 and 65 minutes. It's crazy how that works out. But this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll catch you again next time. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial. But you've got time to search it and look at it. 
That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you, and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland, and we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.